again, all of you beautiful men and women and human beings of the world. Welcome to another Nesson After Hours podcast presented by People's United Bank. You know the drill, the usual suspects here. Celia Godwin, Emerson Lancia, at your service. At your service, yes, on this uh, rainy Thursday as I'm looking out the window. It's disgusting. I hate it. It is disgusting. But it, Dude, it, snow is- tomorrow, possibly snow wild that we're going to get snow here in october i mean it's just uh, help me help uh, me obi-wan right but you know what i'm happy to be here today we got two guests two major topics so let's just go ahead and get right to it peter abraham of the boston globe uh, might be a little sleep deprived from his journey (laughs) 20 world series uh peter how you feeling uh we got a season in we got a champion in the middle of a pandemic we got it done we do, and then we had a controversy after we had a champion. Oh, and, yeah. and I was at the ballpark until 2 a.m. waiting for Andrew Friedman, the Dodgers president of baseball operations, to talk about it. And uh, got up at 8 o'clock and got on a plane, and here I am. Hey, what was it <laughs> like being – yeah, you are a champ. What was it like being in a ballpark with fans? Like, did, did it just feel like you were on another planet after everything this past year? You're like, it was, you know, it was actually really refreshing. And the best part of it was when um, – when Dave Roberts came out to take out a picture in one of the games, he got booed. And it was fantastic. <laughs> it was like, wow, people are watching the game and they're excited and it's not fake crowd noise. And, you know, and the other thing about it, and I, I have no idea how this happened. They had 11,500 people in the park. That's what they allowed. And like 11,000 of them were Dodgers fans. I have no idea how all of these Dodgers <laughs> fans made their way to Texas, but the place was crawling with Dodgers fans. And that kind of made it fun because, they were, you know, there was like actually, you know, it felt like an actual game. It was like people were cheering. It was cool. Yeah, we got a little bit of normalcy for once. Um, and like you said, it kind of ended with controversy. Let's just go ahead and talk about that. Uh, Justin Turner, Dodgers third baseman, testing positive for coronavirus in the middle of the oh. game, gets pulled, comes back out to celebrate. How does this all happen? Well, from what I understand, he had an inconclusive test that they, they sent back to the lab to get tested again. And this was the day of the game. And because they were all getting tested pretty much every day in, in the bubble that they had. They had a hotel in Texas where they were staying, both teams, along with all the MLB people, the umpires, everybody. So it comes back inconclusive. They run it again. They find out during the game that it's positive. So MLB calls the Dodgers and says, you need to get them off the field. Andrew Freeman walks down to the dugout and tells Dave Roberts, you got to get them off the field. They send in a guy to play third base. They take Rob, They take uh, Turner out of the lineup. Now, we're all thinking maybe it's like a defensive move because they're up by a couple of runs. It didn't seem like anything all that unusual. And then after the game, it comes out that he had tested positive. So according to the protocols, and this has been in place the entire time of the whole season, when somebody tests positive, you have to isolate them somewhere and, and keep everybody else from the team away from them. And it's very it's all black and white. And that's what they told us they were going to do. So as we're sitting there uh, doing a Zoom with Dave Roberts, the Dodgers manager, Justin Turner walks out onto the field. And <laughs> Justin Turner is not a hard guy to figure out who he is. He's got a big red beard. Yeah, he sticks out like a sore thumb. <laughs> yeah, and he walks around. He, he, he hugs Kenley Jansen. He takes a picture with his wife. He kisses his wife. They, everybody's, you know, all excited. He's hugging, you know, Jock Peterson and Corey Seager and everybody else. And then they take a team photo. And he plops right down in the, in the middle, right in the front, right next to Dave Roberts, takes off his mask, and everybody takes a photo. And we're all like, how, you know, how is what this is going on? What's going on? <laughs> and it turns out it shouldn't have been possible. MLB tried to keep him from doing it, but he basically 
told the security guy, like, too bad, I'm going on the field. So, yeah, he like, said, screw you. To celebrate a World Series. Yeah. Should, uh, <laughs> to, so with an inconclusive test, like, should he have even been allowed to play? Well, yeah, we, we found out later on that there have been numerous cases this year that they had inconclusive tests and they let the guys play because almost all of the time it turned out that they were negative. And that this was just a, not a flaw in the testing, but just how the testing works. Yeah. yeah. There were a few times that they found out guys were positive and they, uh, you know, they didn't, they didn't let them play because of other testing or, or whatever it might have been. So they made a decision to let them play. That was within the, the rules that they had set before the season. Um, but yeah, he, once he was isolated, he was supposed to stay isolated. Uh, MLB has released a, a statement. There's going to be an investigation. I mean, what's going to happen here? What do you, what do you expect? Well, as somebody who has uh, a couple thousand MLB releases in his computer, this was probably <laughs> the angriest one I've seen. They were clearly annoyed. Uh, and, you know, they, they, they talked about how disappointed they were and, and that he blatantly violated the rules. And when they talk like that, that, that suggests to me that there's going to be some kind of suspension coming, uh, you know, what they might find the Dodgers, whatever it might be. Now, that's not going to change anything. They won the World Series. You know, everybody's happy. But it's – you know, if they're going to get through the season next year, there's clearly going to have to be some kind of protocols, at least in spring training, if not for the entire season. They need to make an example of him because how many other guys are going to say, well, hey, I was really happy we beat the Yankees, so I decided to come out and celebrate. Like, they have to do something, I think, to sort of, you know, if they're going to have these protocols, they have to enforce them, right? They definitely do. I mean, it's a pretty big stain on what was otherwise like a pretty interesting and thrilling, exciting and so questionable moves uh, in this World Series. I, I think the biggest one here, Pete, was Kevin Cash. Why did he take out Blake Snell at 73 pitches there? Like in the sixth inning, he was rolling, man. Like, what did you think of that questionable move? Well, a couple of things. Blake Snell hasn't completed six innings in a game since 2019. And this is a guy who's, who's usually only good for five, five plus. And that's just the way, you know, that's the way it's been since he's had his surgery. Um, that's, that's how he pitches. But this was something much more unusual. He was pitching great. He'd only thrown 73 pitches. He was literally striking everybody out. And the next three guys up, he had struck out twice each. Um, so, you know, if anybody looked like he deserved to stay in the game, it would have been Blake Snell. And when Cash came out of the dugout, I thought this was going to be a, Hey, I'm just checking on you. We got the top of the order coming up. How you feeling? You know, go get him, you know, slap him on the ass and send him back out there. <laughs> but as soon as he walked out of the dugout, he was like, all right, bring in the next guy. And Snell, he didn't even put his face over his, his glove over his face. He just started. <laughs> I, was so he was pissed. I and, mean, you would be, of course yeah. you would be. Oh. And, it, and it was funny in the press box at that point, it was a, a one nothing game, not a whole lot to sink your teeth into. You, you certainly can't start writing, you know, the Rays are going to win. The Dodgers are going to win. As soon as Kevin Cash made that move, you saw like 20 writers. I'll be like, oh, yeah, here we go. You know, <laughs> Here's the beat, baby. Yeah. <laughs> and right away, you know, Mookie gets up and he doubles, sends the guy to third. Wild pitch. They tie the game. Mookie scores on the field of choice. They're up two to one. And you're like, wow, this is like one of the all-time like controversial managerial moves in the World Series. Yeah, no kidding. Where does this stack up, especially, you know, in calls in the postseason? Uh, 2019, A.J. Hinch did it with Zach Greinke. And then 2018, Dave Roberts did it with Rich Hill. Uh, and then the Red Sox go on and win. Uh, where does this stack up? Have you seen a call that this blatantly wrong, bad, bad decision by the Rays? Yeah, I mean, this goes back to like, you know, uh, Roger Clemens coming out of the 1986 World Series, like all stuff like that. It's, 
and we got Zach Greinke is a guy who everybody knows is only going to go a certain amount of batters, and that's just the way it is. But I mean, Blake Snell's still a young guy, and, and he was pitching so great. And he thought, well, you know, the Rays are going to bend the rules this one time, right? How could they not? And there's a larger discussion here that, you know, how much is baseball going towards we're going to script out the game? This is what the analytics tell us. We're never going to deviate from what we think is right to letting the manager read the situation and make his own decision. And, you know, how far is this going to go? Like, at what point is baseball taking away the human drama of it and, and the decision-making in the game and all the fun stuff and just making it like, nope, two-time studio order, that's it. We're taking them out, you know, no matter what. And the Rays platoon a whole lot, too, with their with their offensive guys. You know, what if a guy hits three home runs and he's driven in, you know, nine runs? you got to take him out of the game, too? Like, how far will they go with this stuff? And it's, you know – it's interesting because it got them to where they, it got them to the point where they were in game six of the world series and they had a lead and then it cost them and, and it knocked them out of the world series. Yeah, at a certain point, I feel like you just gotta, you gotta trust your eyes. And I was trusting my eyes when I saw the big ass smile on Mookie Betts's face, like throughout this entire world series, how much fun was that guy having? You were able to watch this in person. Yeah. It, it's really interesting. Cause I, I don't know that I can recall a time a guy got to a new team, even an established player and became so quickly the focal point of that team, not just as a player, but like their emotional focal point. And you talk to the Dodgers guys, and we, we were only doing it on Zoom, but I mean, I, I was talking to them for the better part of 10 days. They, they all talked about from spring training on how Mookie really made himself uh, a big part of that team. He became a, a mentor to young players. He became a friend to the older players. Uh, he became a confidant of Dave Roberts. Uh, everything that they did kind of revolved around Mookie. And uh, at one point in spring training, he wanted to address the team. And he sent an email to Clayton Kershaw the night before. And he said, hey, would you mind if I address the team? And Kershaw said, no, I, I want you to. That's why you're here. And from that moment on, it, it kind of became his team. And to watch him play and, and kind of the joy he took from playing, it, you can tell he really feels comfortable there. I mean, obviously, the contract has a lot to do with it. But he and Dave Roberts have a great bond. And you can tell that, that Roberts has just kind of said, hey, man, you know, you, you be you. You do what you want to do. And we'll follow your lead. Yeah. Um, now he has two World Series titles, one with the Sox, one with the Dodgers. Um, it, it, you, you have to feel happy for the guy because he's just so universally loved in, in, in the game of baseball. And now that the season is officially over, what is the latest on this manager search for Boston? Because we kind of need a manager now. Well, Alex Cora is uh, available to be manager. <laughs> right? Hey, suspension no over. Right. He's free. He is Andy Dufresne. He has emerged and he is ready for <laughs> Except um, he didn't have to climb through like a mile-long well, tunnel of fecal matter. To some degree he did, but I don't know. <laughs> yeah, but figuratively. Here's what I've kind of, you know, it's hard not to notice, right? They, they've interviewed about 10 guys over Zoom. And I, why would they go through, you know, the effort of, of going, you know, uh, interviewing these 10 guys? Those 10 guys had to get permission from their teams to do it. They must have thought it was a legitimate offer to be made or a job out there to pursue. I don't know that the Red Sox would have made all of this effort unless they decided they wanted to hire somebody else. And until I think until they announce what they're going to do, everybody's going to think it's going to be Cora. I don't think it's going to be Cora. I think Hyam ah. Bloom. Wants to yeah, I think You're Hyam the Bloom first person to go on record to say that. I swear. Yeah. Every <laughs> yeah, every every writer we've talked to is like, oh, it's going to be Cora. It's, it's going to be Cora. It's Cora. Yeah, I mean, well, I like I mean, this. If it was going to be Cora, it should have been Cora yesterday, right? I mean, that, that if, they, if that's the decision, just make the decision. Like 12.01 in the morning. Right. I mean, <laughs> yeah. I look at it this way. Who's the most important guy in baseball operations right now for the Red Sox? It's Hyam Bloom, clearly. If Alex Cora comes back, who's the most important guy in baseball operations? 
is you know it's probably not high in bloom it's probably the guy who won the world series yeah so if you're high in bloom why would you hire a guy who's more important than you i think you know i think he wants his own manager i think he wants a guy who he can put an arm around and say hey here's what i want you to do and if you try to do that with alex alex will say well remember when we won the world series and we won 180 this is how we did it um i think that's a hard dynamic to get over and i i just think it's going to be you know his version of kevin cash he's going to find a guy who who will work hand in hand with him uh p dave i hope you are able to catch up on some sleep my friend i know you have been busy you'll have a, a few months here and hopefully baseball's right back at it and spring training here come like february or march but appreciate you joining the nest and after hours podcast dude well clearly there's nothing that's going to happen with the red sox over the next few months so i should have plenty of time off <laughs> yeah that's right man super like super easy job roster and anything like that <laughs> just, just all right cool man. Red Bull, man you'll be fine <laughs> all right shotgun it <laughs> P. Dave, thank you. I appreciate you guys. Thank you. All right, now let's go ahead and welcome our second guest, Super Bowl 50 champion, term broadcaster, Ryan Harris. How's it going in the Mile High City, Ryan? Hey, Seeley, doing good. We got our first snowfall, so uh, summer's officially oh. over out here in Denver. But as you know, it's now 70 degrees probably this weekend, so it's all good. Yeah, yeah. Denver's so up and down with their weather, but I, I mean, it's been kind of sad watching the coverage with the whole state being on, on fire, but I'm so thankful yeah. that the snow is there and everything's gotten a little bit better for you guys out there, but, but so glad to have you on today. Uh, we're going to run you through some NFL headlines, hear your thoughts on it. Uh, plus maybe if you could give us some potential, you know, stories, um, stuff about your <laughs> days playing against the Patriots and Cam Newton. Because, <laughs> the you know, scoop. You, you kind of uh, beat him pretty badly. Uh, the yeah, only team to do it twice in the same season. We had a blast. I love the Patriots. It's so fun hey. to play the Patriots. <laughs> <laughs> Look at you. Just looking forward to this. But, uh, just a little jab in there. Let's go. <laughs> Everybody's like, God, I already hate this guy. Why would you come on? <laughs> yeah. Um, uh, let, let's talk about uh, a guy that used to be a Patriot, Tom Brady, now with the Bucks, and now he's getting uh, reacquainted with Antonio Brown. Oh. What do you make about that relationship? It's clear, too, that when Antonio Brown said last year that he was still talking to Tom Brady, clearly he was. And I can tell you from being Antonio Brown's teammate at the Steelers, no one works harder at practice than Antonio Brown. It's really amazing. He tries to catch 100 balls before practice. And, you know, it's a lot of big-time receivers in the NFL. Practice is kind of a, yeah, okay, I got this play. You don't see him sweat. He'll be dripping sweat after a practice. And I know, by the way, he catches another 100 balls, you know. And so for him and, and for the teammate that I knew that really changes games for you, he, I just hope that he's learned in this process away from the game that you really have to do the little things. Showing up for meetings on time matters. And you have a great opportunity, not just to win a championship, but to really maximize your earnings and your career while you have it. Because as, as Antonio Brown is with all players, you get older every day. And right now his window is really closing. And I know when I was out of NFL in my fourth year, um, that you really start to learn how lucky you are to be in the NFL. I hope you learn that message. And I can only tell, I can tell you though, with what they've done, Tom, you know, Rob Gronkowski going off the last game, uh, it's going to be great for Tom Brady to have Antonio Brown back. How long does this reunion last this time? <laughs> well, theoretically, you only need it to last for 14 weeks, right? Get you to the playoffs and win a Super Bowl. And then after that, you know, uh, who knows what happens, but. You know, it's either gonna it's either gonna last all year or it's going to be over quickly. And the tough thing uh, is that he, you know, Antonio Brown's gonna be very close to where he grew up in Miami, just about a 
two hour drive, two and a half hour drive. So you just hope that some of those outside off the field things have been straightened out. He's understood, uh, you know, who's in his corner, who's not, and also what he needs to do to be successful. So I just hope he makes the most of this opportunity. He's a great teammate. And uh, one time we were in, in training camp and I was like, hey, man, you know, he was asking me about Peyton Manning. And he was like, I was like, dude, you know, DJ Khaled, right? He's like, yeah, let's call him. And he calls him on the FaceTime right there. And we're in a cold tub. And just he's that kind of guy when you're behind the scenes with him. And I do want the best for him. Another DJ Khaled, why am I yelling? Another one. And, and DJ Khaled was like on a radio interview, you know, like he does. He's like, hey, I'm, I'm live now with uh, Antonio Brown, best receiver in the NFL. And one of his teammates were, you yeah. know, were on an interview. And I was just like, they're, they're naked in a they're naked in yeah. a tub together. <laughs> yeah, yeah. You know, they're shower buddies, you know. So it's just, <laughs> it was really cool to be Antonio Brown's teammate. And, and I know he, there's no receiver in the NFL that changes the game like Antonio. Well, I know the Patriots could uh, use a little bit of help receiving uh, wise. What, what do you make of the Patriots play so far this year? Well, I know Josh McDaniels from when he was a coach here in Denver, and he has does have a great system. Um, but I, I believe we're seeing a coaching staff that sees its system more important and better than the players that are in that system. And even Bill Parcells, who is the head of the coaching tree of Belichick and others, he's he was asked, is it the system or the players? And he said it's the players. And, you know, those of us in football, those of us who have played know, hey, as great as Bill Belichick is, Tom Brady's the X factor there. And we're seeing that. And that doesn't mean that they can't find a new quarterback who's going to be in that place. But clearly Cam Newton, you know, has had some struggles. His throwing motion is different on different throws. Sometimes he shot puts the football. Other times it's that long kind of Byron Leftwich release. And those are the kind of things that affect you over a game, create inaccuracies, and as you're seeing now, create losses. So how do they fix this? Can they? Or is this – Irrepar- like you can't repair this thing. Well, I don't believe you can have the same system of no name receivers. I know they got Nikhil Henry, uh, but you, you can't have no name receivers and, and you have to maintain stability on that offensive line, which I know COVID has been an issue. You know, my, my former teammate, James Ferentz there was out due to COVID protocols, but you have to really put some support around a quarterback. You didn't have to do that with Tom Brady. But you do have to do that now with whoever's coming in next, especially if it's going to be a rookie in the next couple of years. Uh, real quick, I know you got a you got a show here to get to. Can you share us with us a story, a favorite memory of playing the Patriots? Yeah, I mean, uh, there's a couple. You know, one one every single time I played the Patriots, Bill Belichick would go and tell uh, the referees, "Hey, you know, 68, he lines up in the backfield." So you know, for for four or five years. Every game, this, the ref comes up to me. And then Super Bowl 50 season on, on our first game, the ref comes up. I say, hold on, ref. I'm going to tell you right now. You're going to tell me that Coach Belichick wants me to move up on the line, but I'm telling you he's trying to make a fool out of you. He says this every game, and I've never gotten flagged for being in the backfield. So don't let him get on your get in your head before the game. And the ref kind of laughed and, like, walked away because that's exactly what he was coming to tell me. You know, but we, we won an overtime against them. And I had the game-winning pull and, and block on Malcolm Butler. And it was so cool because right before I cut Malcolm Butler, I'm like, oh, that's Malcolm Butler. You got to pick just to win the Super Bowl. Whoop, you know, and you throw down and you block him, <laughs> you know. And then Dante Hightower and I, uh, we had a, many a conversation that's not safe for, uh, you know, oh, that's not safe on. off the field, <laughs> you know. But it's, it's one of those deals where, you know, um, especially in the AFC Championship game, 
you know, he, he, he wanted to talk tough. And, and I told him, hey, we're coming at you all game. I told them I'm going to whoop your tail every every single play. And so those are the kind of back and forth. And, and I really respect uh, Dante and, and what he's done with his career. And, and and those are the things you miss when you retire. You miss John back and forth and then getting the opportunity to back it up. And uh, and I got Dante one, one time so bad on a play that the next play he abandoned all responsibilities. And I'm going to block the outside linebacker. He was the inside linebacker. He just ear holed me. You know, we got like a six yeah. yard gain, but you know, he and I were having our own little game within the game. And those, those are the kinds of things that are fun. Uh, Brian, is your, is your middle name still Emerson? Emerson Wilcox. Yeah, man. So we share man, that. I knew, I knew we connected respond, right away. Friend. You guys That's are it, baby. best friends now. Yep. Sila, you can leave now. <laughs> <Yeah>. <laughs> Oh. Ryan, I, I appreciate you coming on. It's good to see you. Uh, my, my time out in Denver, it was always a pleasure to see you out at the Broncos training facility in Dove Valley. Um, wish you all the best. Uh, get out there and enjoy the snow. I want some snow pictures, all right? Yeah, sounds good. And just so proud of your success, Seeley. Keep killing it and crushing it. And Emerson, great to meet you, man. you, my man. Yeah, thanks, man. Good. I'll keep an good eye good. on her. We'll, we'll have you on again on, on the podcast, but thank you so much for the time, man. We'll talk soon. Always. Peace. Later, buddy. All righty, everybody. Two That's great guests, stuff. two great good topics. Good stuff. So much fun today. Um, we're just going to continue to bring uh, better and better guests. Uh, Amy Trask is coming on next week. I am so pumped to have her on. Um, if you guys have any suggestions or any people you want to hear from, let us know because we're going to try to bring them on. I mean, we might have to bribe them with like donuts or beer. That's, that's <laughs> yeah, or, or dog pictures as well. Like we could, we could provide those. Yeah. Yeah. We're, we're pretty good at that. But uh, Emerson, um, for you, buddy, what are you looking forward to this weekend? Cause it's uh, Halloween. Yeah, it is Halloween. So uh, my wife and I are actually taking Winnie to Buffalo. We're going to present her and introduce her to the in-laws to uh, Meg's parents. Yes. You I don't know what they're going to present what they a puppy. Say. <laughs> exactly. I just think that they're going to present him like, like, like the Lion King. Literally. When I'm the getting out of like the car in the driveway, I'm kicking the door open and I'm just raising her up <laughs> and I'm going to say, hit it, Meg. And she's going to play the Lion King song. Uh, so yeah, that's, that's what we're doing this weekend. Awesome. What are you doing? Uh, I don't know. I'm moving into a different apartment, you know, right in the same building around the corner. So I got to handle that. But uh, I did go to the Boston Man magazine release last night. I got to wear, I was Catwoman. Uh, everything was I saw that. Distance. That looks sick, dude. It was. It was great. Um, I mean, Julian Elliman has been on the cover of that. Uh, several other great athletes in the Boston area have as well. Yeah. Um, fun event. Uh, Garen was there as well. It was great to see Garen. She was dressed, of course, as, as a baseball player. Shock, shock. But she looked did, great. She looked fantastic. You're a U.S. Catwoman. Is that your all-time favorite Halloween costume, or do you have another one from your earlier days? Uh, I was uh, – oh, goodness. Um, let me think. Uh, Carmen Sandiego, one year. That was oh, really, wow. I loved that one. Uh, I was, Where in the uh, world is she? Hulk Hogan, one year, too. I had, like, yeah, brother! And every, I love that outfit. I might bring that back later maybe this year if i okay. go to something else but maybe definitely next year like i, I love being a wrestler that's just so epic you can just yeah. be loud and obnoxious the whole time that's true you can just be yourself basically y yes we <laughs> needed that excuse emerson so let yeah me yeah <laughs> uh, my i was peter venkman uh one of the the best Ooh. and coolest ghostbuster and then um not halloween but a couple of years ago I, I got to dress up as john snow and go to game of thrones day at fenway 
I've so that was that, that was cool. You can and my wife's my wife still reminds me of how much money I spent on that outfit, and she's still yeah, not happy about fur. it. And I'm like, Charlie, you've been successful? trying to sneak in Amazon packages for years. <laughs> uh, what you're saying is that you didn't kill that giant fur animal that was wrapped around you. That no, you, it's you it's not a not a real wolf. It's no. so fur. Yeah, indeed so it is. <laughs> um, well, cool, man. Well, crush it this weekend in your move. <laughs> Have yeah, fun with that. It's the worst you. thing I, I've ever had to do is move. Much, everybody knows how much moving sucks. It's the it worst. does. It's the absolute worst. But it's Halloween. Looking forward to that. Um, looking forward to next week's podcast. But that's going to do it for us. This is After Hours Podcast presented by People United Bank. Thank you, good people of New England, of the world, for listening to us. We love you. We'll see you next time. Thank you.